Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Pro-lifers only care about babies before they're born. Have you ever heard that before? I've heard it a lot from pro-deathers, or should I call them pro-choicers. Uh, when having a discussion about abortion uh, and, and the atrocity that it really is, and how I believe that it's going to be a huge blight on our nation's history in the future, they always get to the point where they don't really know what to say, so they go on, on to attack um, there's all, obviously there's, there's certain points they like to hit they like to say, well, you know, it's not viable. Um, and in, in, you know, if it was ever born at a certain point, it, it can't live on its own, but you know, how can that be a sign of life? Because there's lots of adults that can't live on their own without help. Um, you, know, you say, well, you know, it, it's, it's not born, it's not gone through the canal. And, and, and how can, again, how can that be a sign of life as far as the geographical location of a child? That's not a sign of, of life. Um, and you can go through all of these different things, but they always get to the point after you've been through them where they just simply want to go onto, onto attack mode. Um, because they don't have anything else to say. They, they pull out the old arguments of, well, you know, you don't really care about babies either. And, you know, don't do, you don't do anything for them after they're born. Well, this, this is such a hollow argument. Number one, even if it were true, how is killing a baby that has not even been born yet better than anything else, Right. Number two, I, I know of a ton more organizations and churches that help with the needs of those that need it, especially children. I would say number three, I myself have physically helped with orphanages all around the world. And, and number four, the majority of orphanages are not government run, like, like the one my family supports, which is Eden Ministries. You, if you want to know more, you can go to Eden, E-D-E-N-Ministries.org. I am also a big proponent of government-private partnerships. When, when I was on a church board where the church was right across the street from a high school, we were able to work together with the school district to help provide daycare for students that had children. We were looking at a way to make a difference within our community. What was God asking us as a, um, as a church to do? What, what, um, what area of ministry would be best for us as a church? And when we looked at our physical location where the Lord had placed us, it was square across the street from the high school, the local high school. And so we started praying. And one of the biggest needs was students that had children and the fact that they could not go to school 
because they could not afford daycare and, and go to school and, and all this kind of stuff. So one of the things that we did as a church was we provided a daycare uh, at the church right across, across the street from the high school. And it was a partnership between the school district and the church. And this helped many individuals, particularly teen moms, uh, be able to get their diploma and to be able to go to high school and finish what they had started in high school. And, um, and that was definitely a help for them in the long run. Many of these teens would not have been able to finish high school if it had not been for that partnership. In talking with many different ministries about government-private partnerships, many ministries are very hesitant to get involved because they're afraid that the government will try to force them to accept unbiblical policies. You know, they, they don't mind the idea of a government-private partnership, but like so many things, once the government gets its little tentacles in, into your ministry uh, or your organization, then it starts to say, okay, we're going to be doing it our way now. And if you can't do it our way, then we're not going to do it at all. Uh, and so, um, you know, what, what this does is, is, uh, it, it takes, um, it takes away these opportunities of having government private partnerships because, um, they, they don't want to do unbiblical things and they're not going to have these unbiblical policies just to have this partnership with a government entity. Well, as reported back on November 5th of last year in the Christianity Today, uh, while, while the nation was focused at that time on counting votes, the United States Supreme Court was hearing arguments in a case that hoped to dramatically expand protections for religious liberties. You see, lawyers for Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, argued that the city should be allowed to discriminate against religious social service providers as long as the rules it used were neutral laws of general application. Um, they cited a 1990 decision penned by a conservative legal giant, uh, Antonin Scalia. Uh, he um, set up this 1990 decision with the Supreme Court um, where uh, they, they, they have been using this decision to, to basically discriminate against religious organizations. It's kind of, it was kind of a, a backwards thing here. Lawyers for the Catholic social services on the other side of Phil, the city of Philadelphia, in this case, argued that the court should reconsider Scalia's previous ruling in the employment division versus Smith because it establish a standard that allows government to target religious minorities and place significant burdens on the First Amendment um, calls for free exercise. The free exercise clause is at the heart of our pluralistic society, and it protects petitioners' um, you know, vital work for the Philadelphia community, is, is actually what Lori Winham argued in Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. Now the city, and, and this is what, what they had to say, that, quote, the city is reaching out 
and telling a private religious ministry, this is the, the Catholic services again, which has been doing this work for two centuries, how to run its eternal affairs and trying to coerce it to make statements that the that are contrary to its religious beliefs and and as a as a, as a you know condition of continuing to participate in the religious exercise that they have carried out in Philadelphia for two centuries is what she has to say now in 19 or not 19 actually in 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 2018 a city official read a newspaper story and this is so typical of how things happen right the city official reads a newspaper story about a conservative Christian opposition to same-sex foster parents. So there, there was this article. I don't know where it was. It was uh, found, but the city worker, city official, was reading this story, and these Christians were opposed to same-sex foster parents. Um, again, understandably so from a biblical point of view. Now, Philadelphia had long contracted foster care services to Catholic social services. I mean, for a long time, they have been doing this service and they've had this government-private partnership in order to do that. Now, there weren't any complaints about the church-run organization. I, I'll repeat this again. There weren't any complaints about the church-run organization discriminating against the LGBT people. And I throw P in there because that's what the latest thing is. Uh, the pedophiles want to be a part of this group. So we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and be woke and we will include that. Um, but the official was nonetheless concerned and brought the issue to the city council. The city council changed its uh, contracting policies and passed a resolution opposing, quote, discrimination that occurs under the guise of religious freedom, unquote. The entire process took three days. Now, Catholic Social Services asked for an exemption from the city. So you can see what's going on. This worker, this, you know, uh, official of the city you know, is reading about how you know, some of these Christians are not wanting same-sex foster parents, and they get upset, and they start to look and say, oh, look, um, because we contract with Catholic Social Services, you know, we need to change our policy to make sure that we can have same-sex foster parents. In fact, we are going to make it so Catholic Social Services no longer can be a part of what we're doing as a city. And so what does Catholic Social Services um, do because I mean again it took three days for the city council to go oh yeah yeah we agree we're going to oust Catholic social services well they asked for an exemption from the city noting it would be happy to refer same sex couples who wanted to foster to the more than two dozen other agencies that also contract with the city now the LGBTP people wouldn't be prevented from fostering. And the Catholic agency shouldn't be required to give up its religious convictions just because they're unpopular. The city, of course, refused, saying the new standards had to be equally applied to everyone, as they said. Quote, a universal clause in every contract bars sexual orientation discrimination. 
And the attorney representing Philadelphia continued by saying that clause contains no exemptions and it applies equally to every foster care agency, religious and secular alike. And this is Neil, uh, Kate Yall, and this is the attorney representing Philadelphia. Kate Yall all was, um, a, appealing to the 1990 case that we talked about uh, just a little earlier when the court established a general applicability as the standard for deciding when a law violates religious liberty. In that case, two members of the Native American church were denied Oregon State's unemployment benefits because they were uh, fired for using peyote, which is um, it, it, it's a drug that, that uh, a lot of Native Americans like to smoke. And they objected that the you know, hallucinogenic was a religious sacrament in the church and they should thus be protected. Um, Scalia, in this case, back in 1990, writing for the majority, said laws that specifically prohibit religious activity were not allowed under the First Amendment, but laws that... Now, incidentally prohibited religious activities are, as long as the law is not targeted at religious exercise. It's fine, according to, to Scalia. According to Scalia, this does, this does place a um, kind of a, a, a relative disadvantage to those religious practices that are not widely engaged in. But that's unavoidable, he said. Religious minorities will receive less leeway for the exercise of their faith if it's unpopular, and they don't have the political power to win legislative exemptions for themselves. The other option, he wrote, is a system in which each uh, conscious is a law unto itself. Pluralism leading to complete anarchy is what he saw. Now, let me stop here and say, that this is really interesting, this decision back in 1990 and, and the thinking that the justices went through uh, to, to explain this. They're saying, well, yes, um, our Constitution does allow a lot of religious freedoms. But if, you know, there's something else that comes along and it kind of violates some of them, well, you know, that's just too bad is basically what they said. That, you know, is as long as we set a, a rule and it applies to everybody, well, oh, well, you know, it, it happened to, uh, to override religious uh, freedoms. Oh, well, that's just a sacrifice we have to make. And, of course, that's terrible law. It definitely needs to be overturned. That law, the Employment Division versus Smith, was terrible, a terrible decision. And you can't override religious liberties just because you uh, make a law that's that's um, you know distributed to everybody. That's that that's just not constitutional. So it definitely needed to be overridden. Well, as a, American culture grows more accepting of the LGBT people, and and the court has expanded protections of of their rights. Religious conservatives have begun to worry that they will be the ones 
at a relative disadvantage, right? I mean, they, the courts even said, we understand that, that, that religious minorities are going to be at a disadvantage here, that, that they're not going to be able to participate in government-private partnerships. If traditional Christian teaching rejecting homosexuality um, and homosexual activity is sinful, it's widely unpopular, um, then city and states are not likely to exempt religious organizations from generally applicable laws against the LGBTP discrimination. That could make life difficult for foster care services, you know, such as like Christian wedding cake bakers, right? <laughs> we've heard we've heard that one. Uh, evangelical colleges and others, uh, just just as laws against drug use have made it hard for the Native American church to practice its peyote sacrament. Now, the standard that Scalia set um, has also been applied uh, to uh, Caesarea priests who wanted uh, exemption from local animal cruelty ordinances to sacrifice chickens um, as, as, as peace act, uh, uh, advocates who, who don't want to pay for you know the the portion of their taxes that fund the US military and and quite recently churches seeking exemptions for covid-19 restrictions on public gatherings which of course by the way courts have ruled unconstitutional right um, you know th th you can't come in and override religious liberty just because you know you think that people should not meet together uh, as a government official the court has in recent years protected religious liberties in multiple rulings, deciding in favor of religious business owners, religious employers, and religious schools. Several evangelical groups, including the National Association of Evangelicals, the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Commission, and the Church of God in Christ, asked the court to use this case to revisit the precedent set by Smith. And, and so this is, this is what happened just the other day. The verdict came down from the Supreme Court and, and, and you, and you can see what's happening here. They, the, the, the terrible law of the employment division versus Smith, um, it was, everybody's asking the court, the Supreme Court to basically throw that out and say that was a terrible law. The U.S. Uh, the United States Supreme Court said that the city of Philadelphia, in their verdict, did not meet the standard of generally applicable rule because the council was specifically targeting the Catholic foster care agency. That would that that was similar to the court's ruling in Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission back into in 2018, which focused narrowly on the commission's process for evaluating the cake shop's owners. So what, what they're saying is that instead of doing away with this terrible law, the Supreme Court decided they didn't want to rough, ruffle a lot of feathers. And so what did they do? They went ahead and made a really narrow decision like they did back in the cake shop stuff. And, and said, hey, you know, when it comes to cakes and cake shops, you know, we can't discriminate and da, 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 or we can, you know, this kind of thing. And and uh, but it's, it's not going to overrule our precedent that we set earlier. The Supreme Court ruled decisively in favor of the Catholic foster care agency on Thursday, 
with all nine judges agreeing that the city of Philadelphia violated the First Amendment's protection of religious liberties when it ended the contract with Catholic Social Services over um, over the service to the LGBTP people. Now, the the Chief Justice John Roberts, who has been really just kind of a, a, a terrible chief justice. He he has just been a wet noodle when it comes to being a chief justice. And you can just about know where he's going to come down by whichever one is going to make him look best uh, in, in people's eyes. But he said here, it said that, uh, quote, it is plain that the city's actions have burdened the um, Catholic Social Services religious exercise by putting it to the choice of curtailing its mission or approving relationships inconsistent with its beliefs, wrote Chief Justice John Roberts. Philadelphia claimed that the city could not contract uh, foster care services with a Catholic agency that only served married heterosexual couples because of an um, anti-discrimination law uh, ensuring that everyone, regardless of sexual orientation, has equal access to public accommodations. The court found, however, that the foster parents uh, parenting is not a public accommodation since certificate certification is not available to the public and bears little resemblance, they said, to staying in a hotel, maybe eating in a restaurant or riding a bus. According to the court, there was no evidence presented in the record that the Catholic agency's policies were ever pre- preventing a same-sex couple from having Foster, foster and fostering children, or that it would even have, have an effect on that at all. The majority opinion was joined by Justices Breyer, uh, Sotomayor, uh, Kagan, uh, Kavanaugh, and, and Barrett. The other three justices, Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas, agreed with the, the judgment, but signed on to two concurring opinions, arguing that the court should have gone further in defense of religious exercise. They wanted the court to overturn the 1990 uh, precedent written by Scalia, which made it easier for governments to apply laws that place a burden on religious activity. Um, in, in Thursday's ruling, though, Roberts and the majority said that Philadelphia was intentionally targeting the Catholic foster care agent, which, which they were. The law was not neutral toward religious uh, activity or and not generally applicable since it was written with the Catholic agencies in mind. The court decided not to overturn the 1990 precedent, though, uh, and so it's 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 kind of a win and kind of not a win <laughs> in a way as well. Gorsuch, in his concurring opinion, questioned the majority's decision to dodge the critical legal question of the standard of religious accommodation. And that's exactly what they did. They dodged the question. Perhaps our colleagues, he said, believe today's uh, cir- uh, circuitous <laughs> path will be at least, it'll steer the court around the controversial subject matter and avoid picking his side. And so he's he's kind of blasting them, really. Um, and he said, but refusing to give CSS the benefit of what we know to be the correct uh, inter- interpretation of the Constitution is picking a side. So Smith, um, he said, committed a constitutional error, and only we 
can fix it, in which, of course, they didn't. And actually, it was interesting because Alito went on to uh, give an opinion that was uh, 77 pages long, which is like 62 pages uh, more than the majority opinion itself. He really wanted to blast them. And he, he actually said things like, uh, I would overrule Smith after re- receiving more than 2,500 pages of briefings and after more than half a year of posting arguments, uh, the court has uh, emitted a wisp of a decision that leaves religious liberty in a, in a confused and, and vulnerable state. Those who count on this court to stand up for the First Amendment have every right to be disappointed, as am I. And, and I would say, as am I. I mean, this, this was a decision that could have definitely overturned Smith, and it did not. Uh, they tried to get uh, really cutesy and tried to, to get very specific and, and not overturn it. And even though it was a 9-0 to zero decision, it kind of turned out to be, you know, one of those things that that could that should have been a much much better decision. Uh, attorney David French called it a big win for religious freedom and celebrated the fact that every justice concurred, at least in the result. Religious liberty should not be a partisan issue, he said. Um, and and Chelsea Patterson. Um, uh, Soblock uh, is, is her name. Um, she's the policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethic and Religious Liberty Commission, agreed that this was definitely a huge victory. Uh, again, yeah, I mean, it was a big victory, but it should have been much better. This ruling means that children who, who need to, to be safe and have a permanent loving home will be served by the foster care system. And, and, and that's true. Uh, but again, uh, it, it does look like the justices looks to be worried that overturning Smith would open up, you know, every city and state to unintended lawsuits as people, uh, you know, attempted to win exemptions from every possible re- uh, regulation. But, um, but you need to, the, the court needs to, to not worry about the consequences and worry about what is constitutional. What is, is a law constitutional to the constitution does it does it match up is it or is it or is it against the constitution that's their job and they they try to dodge it and in doing so they've made more of a mess so anyway we'll keep an eye on this and i would love to hear uh, your thoughts you can always go to uncommonsensepodcast.com and thank you for listening this podcast is a production of organite communications 